All right, welcome to episode number one. I'm Billy Allen, and I'm joined by coaches John Mayer and Niels Nielsen. We set out to discuss what makes a good warm-up, but of course get sidetracked on all kinds of topics, including a debate on block versus random training. Before you start the show, it's a good idea to check out the video in the show notes on Long Beach State women's volleyball team's warm-ups, which is where our show begins. Thanks for listening, and let's get better. Okay, so I thought a good place to start would be uh, how practice starts, and that's with warm-ups. John, you sent us a link um, showing Long Beach State's women's volleyball warm-ups. Can you describe kind of what they look like? Yeah, uh, it's it's really organized. It's uh, really thought through. It's it's basically passing back and forth um, from different spots on the court. So one person's on the net, one person's about 10 feet away. They pass back and forth, and every person in the gym is on the same rhythm. So it's really organized. It, it's almost like a scene out of a movie. Like That's what coaching looks like. That's what warm-up looks like. And then they, they move on like a little more complicated. The whole time it's you passing back to your partner from different different lengths and um, kind of different movements. Yeah, it's funny that you said scene from a movie. Because when I saw it, I first pictured uh, Best of the Best with the Korean uh, karate team is training. It's just synchronized kicks and punch. It looks very regimented. And like discipline is like a big big factor in that. Um, yeah, I think it's what like what you would think coaching should look like. Like this is what it's like really clean. Everyone knows what they're supposed to do. There's the ball doesn't hit the floor. It's it's really impressive to watch. It's like really wow. These are really well trained athletes. Is yeah, what it looks like it's like the team when you go to a club tournament and the team across the net is just everything synchronized and they look, you're kind of like oh wow like, they're like, all we're, black we're in yeah. trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, my wife's college, they kind of did the same thing, a, like a structured warm-up. The team shows up to the gym, and they know exactly what they're doing. So the coach can kind of just you know, not even be there for the first 10 minutes, and the girls jump into it. And, um, you know, the advantages, they say, is they get like 200 touches before practice even starts, and they're just, you know, dialed in. Um, Do you think it's effective? Um, for me, I would be bored out of my mind. When I played, like, if we peppered for too long, I would kind of start to lose focus. I can't imagine passing... 200 free balls in a row, the same every day. Um, but I mean, it, it definitely instills a certain amount of discipline to like the culture of the program and stuff. Nils, did you see the video? I saw the video. I watched it. I was I was definitely impressed with how organized and thoughtful it was. And I, I went down the road of thinking, okay, at first it looks impressive, and then based on all the new stuff with the train ugly, which we'll get into more and stuff, and as opposed to block training, at first you watch that and you're like, oh, this is just completely old school, and, and this is things that are, that are going away. The sport's going away, or sport coaching is going away from this, so it's probably an older program. And then I was thinking about it even further, and uh, with some of the stuff that's been going on with my teams, I actually think it could potentially be really beneficial as far as a warm-up, especially psychologically. I think if you go too long in that kind of structure block training, it's gonna you're gonna lose the performance, or you're gonna lose you're gonna lose the players as far you know they'll just start zoning out. But to have a, a certain routine that's maybe something that block training that's like three to five minutes where you know what you're gonna do and you know what it is, and a coach can come in and see if you're diligent because he's told you exactly what moves you're supposed to make. And if you're doing an incorrect move, it tells me that you're not paying attention, and so you can't just zone out. And as a psychological or a mindset warm up, it could be good, and then get into some other type of training after that. But Especially at a game or something like that, uh, I've, I've experimented with a lot of different warm-ups, letting the players figure it out, 
micromanaging everything, letting them play games, and every player is different on everybody. So, you know, in this sense, at least you know every player is going through the, the motions and getting getting the body sweaty. I was worried we'd just agree the whole time, so I'm glad we came to, yeah. to a crossroads here. Because I think it's, like, the biggest waste of time you could ever, ever do. <laughs> and, because uh, I, I don't think you ever do any of that in the game. You're, you're never going to pass back to your partner. I, I'm guessing I, I'm guessing the amount of time to to even just be able to do that warm-up, you're going to put in a ton of time to get them to do it, and that sort of sync, and that sort of movement. Uh, I think in warm-ups you can be learning. I think you can be getting better in warm-ups. I don't think those girls are, are getting better at volleyball. They're getting really good at that warm-up, and it's really impressive. But I would I would say there's like zero transfer to anything in our game. Like there's no reading. You're not reading at all. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there, nothing's going over the net, which every play the ball goes over the net. You don't have to, again, it goes into reading. You don't have to guess where the ball's going. The ball's already timed for you. You know the height. You know exactly where it's going. So I think it's, to me, just a massive waste of time. Do you, how does this compare to, like, your guys' warm-ups? Do you, like, on your team, do you have a set, structured warm-up that the girls know? Um, is it different every day? Wait, uh, I'm doing multiple teams here. So with the guys' team, it was, uh, they, do the, they do the same type of running warm-up just to get the body going. And then they do some, some sort of ball control. Where they're all doing the same thing, but it's not that regimented. So you do some sort of pepper or some something in that regard, just to make sure that the joints are moved up and the, and the muscles are firing and stuff. And it was pretty short. Uh, <clears throat> with my practices, I have a section of practice that is warm up, and it changes every day. But it is, and sometimes I'll go back and forth where it's like this type of warm up or this type of warm up or this type of warm up. So at the end of the or toward the end of a season. I walk in and tell the girls, all right, this is what we're doing for warm-up, and then we've gone through it multiple times so they know what it is, so it kind of keeps them off balance in that regard. And sometimes it's a block training where, again, that was probably as far down the spectrum as you could go with, like, block training, so I've never gotten it to that point because I think to get it to that point is a, is more of a waste of time than I, that I want to. But doing those types of touches, at least, you're getting the muscles moving, whereas... Depending on the level, too, I think it changes. You know, it's going to be different. You're going to have at the college level, at the high school level, at the junior high level. I think at the junior high level, those kind of touches, super beneficial. You know, you're not going to learn how to read, but most of these kids don't know how to read anyway. They need to learn how to touch the ball. You know, so it depends on what you're trying to do. So for my girls, for the high school age girls, I really like the the more structured touches Mm -hmm. for a short amount of time. The, The one we saw in Long Beach, I feel like, would probably be. Because it would probably take long. them all season just to be able to just get, to get into that kind of rhythm. It's just it's it seems like it, it's impressive to watch, but again, it's not getting better. But to do it, if they weren't synchronizing, it's like okay, here's your routine. You got to get through this routine every day. I think it can turn into a type of thing where you're like, all right, I know what to expect. I'm going to get through it. By the time I'm done with that, I know my body's gonna. I know how my body's gonna feel because I've done it. I know what, you know if I have a bad day or a good day. If my knee's hurting, if my knee's not hurting, I'm going to feel it through that warm up, and so then I can gauge what the rest of practice is going to look like. I'm not a, an expert on this stuff, and I think we, we probably none of us are. So we're, some of us are we're guessing. I think it's really important to know the the level of your learner, like you said. Like, is it a seventh grader? Is it high schooler? Is it us? I'm not sure how much how much it takes for a seventh grader for their joints to feel warm. It's probably different than you and I, and right. sometimes when we coach, we see it through our eyes, like, oh, they need to 
through all this. I'm guessing a seventh grader at the beginning of practice, and even a high schooler, they're going to be the most engaged and the most able to learn. Their, their brain's going to be firing. So I think that might be the best opportunity to not run, to not pepper, but to do things that are going to improve their volleyball game, to serve and pass, play queen of the court, whatever it is, some sort of way to get them better. Uh, maybe as you get older into like professional ranks, you need a slower warm-up. There needs to be more of a dynamic, but uh, again, I'm, I'm guessing on, I don't know, like the injury rates and that sort of stuff, but I think that just seems like the best time to take advantage of their attention span and to get the most learning in. Yeah, my my goal this year is, for my club team, we did no dynamic warm-up and no peppering. That's kind of what I did just as a habit every year uh, for as long as I've coached, that so we could do a little dynamic warm-up, um, you know, skipping and running and stuff, and then just warm up your arms and then pepper, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, it's about 15, 20 minutes before you start practice kind of thing. And um, I feel like my girls haven't missed it. Um, it. You know, just we just jump right in. At first, some of them were like, took a little while to buy in. They're like, oh, don't we? Just because out of habit, don't we need to throw? It's like, but if you, you know, if you design a warm up drill where they're getting warm and it starts with like the same, like warming up the arm, you know, but yeah, it's over a net or whatever it is. I feel like um, I haven't missed doing it. Um, what does your like, typical warm up look like? I try to I try to vary it. I think. I think there is some value in, like, especially when you're practicing every day, when it's, like, a college team or a high school team where you see them over and over and over. I try to I try to give, like, a little bit of variance where they're, they don't know exactly what's coming. Most of the time, uh, I, I don't think we, we never pepper. Um, we, we rarely jog. We would do a dynamic sometimes. We would do sometimes, like, a core circle. But after that, it was, like, into a butterfly passing, um, so warm, warm, because this was college age. Yeah. So they were warm up as their performance skills. Yeah. I mean, we, we had the setters go for the first half hour before practice starts. So some of the guys are jumping in there and, and are getting a little sweat. But, I mean, we would jump into to deep court correctable without anything. Same thing at Pepperdine. We, you know, Marv never did any sort of, like, slow warm-up. It, it's, we, I mean, we would go into six-on-six six first thing. Uh, we, would, we would play volleyball as much as we can. And I think you have a limited amount of, of brain power and, and probably physically enough energy to, to be good. And if we could be good for an hour and a half of volleyball instead of be good for a half hour, I think it's just let's, let's be an hour and a half of, of quality touches instead of like 45 minutes of messing around, warming up, and 45 minutes of good touches. So it's yeah. just to me, the sooner you can get into it, the better. We talked about this, like our college experience, just how different it was. Because uh, at Northridge, where we, Mills and I played, like we'd have like a, four, especially my freshman year, like a 45-minute jogging and stretching warm-up. Like the guys that would lead it, and we'd literally be arm circles all together and jogging around. And yeah, I mean, but we had the luxury of also going for three hours if we wanted to, or five hours if the coach wanted us to. I think, especially in club, where you have such a finite finite amount of time, like. You know, maybe practicing two days a week for two hours, you kind of need to get into it. And, I mean, it also looks at, like, what's the point of warm-ups? I think part of it is getting them warm for practice, um, and maybe mentally, too. Like, kind of like you said, like, they're getting engaged, they're coming out of there talking about boys and stuff, now they're focused on volleyball. Um, yeah, if you can somehow do a warm-up, but they're also, like, learning getting better, too. Either yeah, way. I guess that would be the perfect balance is can you do something where they're warming up, where they're still reading, where they're still serving and passing? and where they're, where they're learning. I think it's possible. I think it takes preparation. Um, if you're peppering, 
if you're passing back and forth, I don't think you accomplish all that. You might get them warm, which I think at seventh grade or twelfth grade, getting warm is like the easiest thing in the world. Right. right yeah. <laughs> but other, I don't think they're. You're not getting better at volleyball. I don't. I don't think. Well, I've just changed actually because my warm up in the beginning of this year, even with my high school girls, was dynamic warm up and, and and this whole routine. It took about ten minutes, maybe a little bit longer if the girls weren't weren't fired up. And the whole idea was the idea of trying to build a culture around that. Right, so you know you're going to come in, this is how you prepare, this is what it looks like, and if, if, if I had them do a certain thing and, and they were still talking and doing this, it's like, okay, you guys aren't in the gym right now, you're still doing this, you're still doing that, so I'm going to give you your time to warm up, they were doing like a static stretch, and that's your time to talk, once we come out of that static stretch, we do this one thing, and then we're done, right, and then, then it's volleyball time, and it didn't work. I mean, it, it was like it didn't matter. You know, it was like on some days they'd come in and it would work like a charm. On some days they'd come in and it wouldn't work. So it was still trying to gauge how it how the team was. And so just recently we figured out the touch six, and I've been trying to put a time limit on that touch six for the whole team, uh, and you know, touching just sideline to sideline. And it was under 16 seconds. That so seems kind to be of a condi- conditioning? Kind of a conditioning thing, but I knew they could do it, and I knew they had to hustle, but I knew it was possible, and we had to mess with those numbers because if you go too high, they dog it, they don't care. If you go too low, they get really frustrated because they physically can't hit those low numbers. They're not fast enough or whatever. So 16 seconds ended up being a really good time. And so then for our game, this last tournament we had, I let them do their normal hitting warm-up and, and, and pepper warm-up, and we just, you could tell the girls weren't there. They weren't warmed up. So the next game was like, all right, we're changing our warm-up because that was the issue. And all I had them do was touch six in under 16 seconds. Took them three tries, but they did it straight up. No warm-up, no stretching, nothing. Get on the line. we got to touch in under 16 seconds. And they did it. Once they did it, then I let them go into their normal pepper and stuff. But just that shock to their body system that, okay, we have to perform with they're in high school. They're 17. They don't have to warm up the joints. They don't have to do all this stuff in order to not pull muscles and that kind of thing. So seeing that idea of, like, if you can shock the system quickly to get them engaged, now all of a sudden whatever skill you're going to do is, is, is going to be better so you can spend less time on it and they'll be more engaged and trying to figure out what those, what those wake-up calls are. Because if you do a slow jog, if you do a slow dynamic, anything slow is just going to lull them into something. So I think like like the Long Beach thing is it's really interesting because over time, what does that look like? You know? Does does that actually help them? If they're are they really wasting their time or are they investing a ton of time, more time than anybody's willing to spend on something that's actually gonna pay off in the long run. I don't know. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Or can you just shock their system and go some way, somehow? I was thinking how this is one of those things where I think maybe coaches get in the way a lot. When coaches mess up our sport, if 15-year-olds were going to go out for recess to play basketball, they would go play basketball. They, they wouldn't want to jog. They wouldn't need to be. like They would just they would go at it and play. And I was thinking, if I could design my own practice when I was 15 or 16, and it was volleyball, I would want to play volleyball like, right away. I wouldn't want to do any other stuff. I wonder, like, yeah, are we, are we getting in the way? Are we, are we overthinking it? Are we, are we trying to do too much? Yeah. You want to take charge of the practice. Yeah, you want to make it look good. You want to, this is what my coach did. This is, you know, this is what a warm-up is supposed to look like if, you know, if the if the AD walked in or the parents walked in and they just see us playing, you know, six on six, like that, you know, are we, are we, what's our money going towards? You're not organized, you're not, 
but uh, I'm guessing they'll be more engaged, it'll be more fun, and there'll be way more learning going on. Uh, can you do that for two hours? That'd be a challenge. I mean, you'd have to, you have to be a really good coach. You have to be prepared. And that's what you should aim for. Yeah, one of the things we've been doing is just our warm-up consists of a game usually. I know it came from you a lot as that soccer video of like their warm-up games yeah. and how you kind of incorporated it into the the bucket challenge. Yeah. Uh, can you explain that one? Yeah. We've, we've been incorporating it, and it seems like at first they're a little resistant because it seemed kind of silly, but they, they love it. And if it was, it was me going to practice, I'd look forward to some sort of competition right away. So you're competing as you're getting warm and then having fun too. Yeah, that was from the Talent Code blog. I, I was shocked at how much uh, my college guys loved that, that game. I just loved it. And it's not a drill. It's not a warm-up. It's, it's a game. Like it's, it's basically one side serves one guy, serves three people on the other side. All three people have to touch the ball, so it's pass, set, put it over. Uh, and then all three people have to run under, and all three have to touch it again. Pass, set, and they try to make it into a bucket, a ball bucket. We also had hoops down. If you made it a basket, it was worth double points. So it, uh, you're serving and passing you're pass set hitting, you're having to move, you're running across the net, and then there's a ton of communication. It's you saying, you got to get it, you run under. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it accomplishes a lot of things, and, and it's fun. They compete. Like, I think in a warm-up, if you can compete, it's, it's better, <laughs> for sure. I know, uh, I was thinking about Tom Black at LMU, and I heard carts with the indoor women. In their warm-up, they play music a lot of the time, though. They'll do their dynamic, they'll do their bands, and then during like Butterfly or something like that, they'll have music on, which I think is kind of cool that adds that like variety and makes warm-up less dull. Uh, we, we did that a little bit, and you could just see like the dynamic was just more dynamic. <laughs> uh, and that, that also got me thinking, sorry, I'm jumping all around, but I could see how teaching a 16-year-old the right habits is important. Like if they never learn how to like do a dynamic warm-up, and all they ever do is, is play, and maybe when they get older, we set them up for injuries. Uh, I, I don't know. That's what I was thinking, one of the advantages of maybe doing the more traditional warm-up. But I think that can also be taught later in life. Well, I think it comes down to the, the idea, too. So if we're talking about the, uh, the block training versus the, the train or glue method. Laying down myelin, right? And the whole idea is not that doing it block training doesn't lay down myelin, but that it takes longer and it's not as effective as doing it this other way. So then you start thinking about when you micromanage it the way that Long Beach does, okay, it's not that they're not laying down myelin, right? It's the fact that it's taking longer. But is it possibly better that way because they're laying it down correctly? Or is it you just throw them in there? They might read the game really well, but they can't touch the ball when they get in the right spot or something like that because they're laying down the wrong myelin when they're performing whatever said executed skill. That's the interesting, that's the dynamic to me. Yeah. There's no doubt that when you're talking about like a closed loop skill like basketball and shooting makes perfect sense to me that you're going to move around because you're in control of the ball, right? Volleyball, everything except for serving, you're reacting off of somebody else's. So there's already that natural variance of what's going on. So when you can limit that to make sure that that touch is correct, I don't know. That's I mean, that's the thing yeah, that I have. That's a really good question. I, I would ask, what do you think the most important skill in volleyball is? I think in the video, Coach Jill Morrow at Long Beach said it's rhythm. Rhythm. rhythm is the most important skill in volleyball. So I could see if you think rhythm is the most important skill, that warm-up 
create some rhythm. Uh, what do you think the most important skill of volleyball is? That's I yeah I mean I would have said like passing and serving that's the that's the traditional route right now. Uh, but I mean, what, what would you say? I mean rhythm reading because that's yeah I'd say re- reading the play like yeah. that's interesting because you're saying like if it was like more of a just jump into a game maybe the kids are are reading and they're like digging balls like how they would in a game compared to like with a partner but maybe their form wasn't as perfect right. as it would be if you had sat down and like honed in on them making sure their free ball passing it was like their hands were exactly the right spot and really controlling like all aspects and I think it is harder as a coach to um, give feedback and break down skills in a game situation like yeah. it's a lot easier to have like one kid passing 50 reps and kind of give them feedback than watching six on six and kind of incorporating that. Um, but the the, answer, the question again is, is it, does that transfer the same? Kind of thing? Yeah, I think we should go back to your, try to figure out the answer to your, uh, your question. Be, yeah, I mean, we might need literature or something, but so it's John, interesting. What, would, it's a, what do you think is the most important? Oh, I think reading is, is the most important uh, and the thing you do the most. I mean, you barely touch the ball in volleyball. Dude, but that's so... Because even that, I would I would have somewhat of an issue with, especially when you're talking about six man indoor versus beach. When you're talking about like beach, reading is off the charts the most important, not even close. I mean, you could suck at so many other skills if you can read, you're still gonna have a certain level of success. Indoor volleyball, you only have to read to a certain point, right? You're gonna stand in this area on defense, and you're just trying to pick up cues or react to a ball that's gonna come within a certain amount. You don't have to worry about the rest of it. Right, I'm only going to pick up cues from said setter if I'm blocking to actually go out to my areas. Right, if I see that setter's going somewhere else, I can react and do something different. Reading is obviously super important. I'm not saying that it's not, but it's less important indoor than it is on on a, on a game like the beach. So isolating that, so being able to read the that the ball is going to be in your zone or however it works is is important. But once that ball actually gets into your zone. Now I know how to touch the ball, right? And you can have maybe somebody else that reads the game well and can funnel a ball into your area and saying, hey, I'm going to funnel this ball into your area. You don't even have to read. Just be ready for it to come into your area. And if I can perform the skill based off of that, now all of a sudden I'm having success too. It sounds like you're saying there's a lot of reading. Uh, yeah, I think it's more as important. I mean, I, I don't know. Reading Why? or reacting? I think. What's the difference? Well, see, just seeing where the ball, based on ball movement. I don't have to read a player if I just watch the ball. How can you react if you don't read? As soon as that ball leaves, I'm so just reacting to the movement of the ball. I can, anybody can do that. So you're reading the ball and then you're reacting, right? Well, I you're not. Like, you're, you're, you're doing. You're, you're, mov- you're going to move toward the ball. It's not. I don't even think it's, it's necessarily reading. If the ball moves that direction, I'm going to go in that direction. So sometimes yeah. we think about reading as like anticipating. Like if I can see this, I'm reading the setter's facing a certain way, I can get a jump start on it. And you're saying like, if you're just balanced and you're just reacting to what he does, yeah. not getting like a half, a split second head start. Or so like a, a really good example of this is like the serving machines. Big debate, are these things beneficial or not? Uh, and the reason is, is because when you get a guy serving at you, you have to read the game. You have to read what's happening. When you get a guy on a serving machine just popping balls at you, it becomes completely skill-based. I'm not reading the game. I'm just reacting. I know this ball is going to be within this area. If it's not within that area, I don't care. So I'm just reacting yeah. to where the ball is with my skill. I know I'm going to move in a certain way when the ball, when I see the ball. And if that ball is out, you know. Whereas I think that's a great server, example. That's why you're never reacting because there are no serving 
machines out on the court. So you're always reading someone's hand. Right. You're always reading centers. So then you would say you would never put your guys on a serving machine. No. Just to get those reps and those touches. No. Right. And, and that's that's the big debate. Because you always, always need to if you get If you can get 10,000 reps on a serving machine with added in, of course, you're going to get reps every day on a, on, a, on a guy's arm and guy's serving and stuff. You get the reading aspect of what a server looks like. Uh, but you also get the touch of the ball. That's the big debate, right? You can get so many more touches off a serving machine, not hurting anybody, than you can off of a guy's arm. You know, and so it speaks to that thing. If you can lay down the myelin correctly, right, every single time based off of this, and now a server serving at me, now I'm working on my read, and I see that guy's coming into my zone, now it turns into that skill. Yeah. And I've gotten so much reps and so much... And I don't know. I'm not saying that this is 100%. It's a really interesting thing because for me, I hated the serving machine because I couldn't read the damn thing. I couldn't see it. So it was really, really hard for me. So it turned into that. I'm just shutting off and I can turn into a passing robot. Yeah, I'd be surprised if much myelin was built. And I, I don't know much about the science of that. But it, I think when you're building myelin, you want to be building the right kind. Uh, I don't think those Long Beach girls are building like the right kind of... Myelin's me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I'd have to look at science more again. Yeah, everything I've read about like uh, pitching machine, a, a tee, uh, they're ineffective. Completely. I don't know about completely. Right. But, but compared compared to to off someone's hand or off a pitcher's, uh, it's like incomparable. You just need to pay a bunch or get a bunch of volunteer assistants to blow their shoulders out yeah, and serve exactly. you over and over. Well, I think as it boils down to like like I can teach Mila, my two year old. She can bump a ball like she knows the skill of the game. I can sh- I can get her to put her hands like this. Like the skill part is the easy part of our game. She, if I if I served a ball over the net, it would hit her in the head, or she would have no idea where it went. But she could go like this. She could show me a perfect platform, like those Long Beach girls have learned, you know how to move it. So I think teaching that is you know it's important. It's definitely important, and you have to spend time with it. And I think you can spend time with it in game like situations. Uh, at LMU, Tom does a lot of tutors, he calls them. And it's kind of part of the warm-up. So if the focus is uh, is passing, they'll serve one way, and and he'll be giving feedback to the passers. You know, off a live serve, they'll pass that hit, and the other side will just be dig only, and the play stops. And then you do it again. So it's it's not like it's chaos. It's, it's controlled, it's random reps, and it's technical. I mean, they're getting a ton of feedback on what they should be doing with their platform. Um, so I think it's easy to just go, oh, random, there's no coaching. It's, you know, it's just chaos, it's crazy, but you can, I think there can be a ton of learning, a lot of feedback, and a lot of opportunities to improve in random situations. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a, here's a question I guess I would pose. All right, so you have a passer who's not able to take a ball in a certain area of their body, right? And so they've learned maybe at the lower levels when the game is slower to move so that they don't have to do that but at some point maybe they have to take one outside the body line and it's really really hard to teach that skill unless you can get them consistently feeling what it feels like to be on that side using a ball machine using a controlled block just to get them to feel what that feels like to me is super beneficial so now that you can go into that situation random ball comes on that side and they take it even if they fail on the skill did it feel like it did when we were working on it? Mm-hmm. You know, and they have that that kind of feedback for it. So, but I don't know because I've I've had this problem exactly. Like a player won't be willing to move a certain way because they can't do it or they feel 
they've always never had success on that side, but they've never been coached on that side. So they just go around it, or they completely yeah. work around, and they're having a ton of trouble because they're trying to yeah, know, my, work around. I think that's a, it's a good question. My my answer would be, I think if they know what's coming, it's not gonna it's not gonna transfer. If they know oh, I have to do this, I'm gonna take it to my right side. I don't think that's gonna transfer to the game. If you go, okay, we're gonna work on serve receive. You're gonna get a bonus point every time you take it to your right. Okay, we're gonna serve 20 balls. That way, it's uh, they're reading. They're deciding what's the best choice. Okay, I get rewarded if I practice taking it to my right. Okay, you took that one to your right. How did it feel? Did you, you get your hands together early? Did you follow through? You, know, you give them feedback every time. And the focus is always on when they take it to their right. You're not talking about anything else. You're not talking about their feet. You're not talking about when it goes midline. You're not talking about when it goes left. All you're harping on is that specific skill. But it's in this random way, so they don't know what's coming. If when you do it that way, there's much more retention and when you do get in the game, they're much more able to actually do that skill that you focused on. So incentivizing them. I think that's, that's one way. I think yeah. that's one way to do it to get them to instead of being fake. I think it's more game like that way. Instead of knowing, okay, we're going to go all right side. Here you go. Here it comes. Then they're not reading. They're just guessing. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing a big reason why they didn't, they haven't been able to do that, is because the game's too fast and they're not reading the ball very well. So I think the more reps they can get, the more they can see it off the hand and practice that the better yeah it's no it's it's a, it's a really interesting debate because so I spent a lot of time I mean I for three years all I did was private lessons and that was yeah. all just straight block training and I saw and you, it was one of those things where I never necessarily saw a lot of the kids go and play in, in a real situation but the feedback that I got when they came back was totally different felt way better it's coming together. I feel a big, huge difference, but this is what they feel. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that is translating into yeah. results. That's, yeah, and that's I, one of those I'm things. saying all this like I've done a lot of block training, my my coaching. So I don't think it, you're, I think it's kind of unavoidable. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I I think a lot of people don't know about the science of it. I don't think it's very it's counterintuitive to what you think would work. So I'm not saying you're a bad person or somebody just doing block training. No, I think it's also the the, the randomization of volleyball inherently is interesting because it's such a random randomized sport you know what I mean when you're talking about a server going back and serving from the same spot every time you know do you randomize that do you put them on the 10 foot line and serve a couple balls on the 10 foot line serve a couple balls halfway in the court serve a couple balls really far away just to give them that 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 would be the theory of shooting a free throw right you're going to go from different distances and areas to try to still focus on that spot does that help I don't know I've experimented with that with my girls, and I've seen no difference in my mind on how it works. Yeah, I don't because the the randomization needs to be game like. If the random if the random reps are not game like, then I don't think it's helpful. Like if you're practicing, if you want to get better at free throws, and you're shooting uh, half court shots and just stuff that doesn't happen in games, I don't think it's going to help. But if you want to work on, if you want to improve your stroke, like you should shoot from different spots. If you want to work on Serving, I think you should serve from where you serve in a game. You probably shouldn't do a hundred in a row. You should serve one. You should play a rally. You should dig a ball. You should go cover your your hitter and then go back and okay, what do I need to do? Okay, I need to hit area one. Okay, I'm focusing on my toss. I'm gonna toss it in front. I'm gonna go. You know, whatever your focus is, that sort of stuff's gonna think you're gonna retain it. And then you play volleyball again. And then you come back and your coach gives you feedback. Okay, what did you feel on that serve? And then you have to remember. Okay, what did I do today? Did my hand go flat through the line, or, or did it not? And, okay, what's your focus here? What are we working on? And to me, that's that's the way to do it. Yeah. 
that takes a lot of coaching because I feel like you can get lost just playing. You know, if you're focusing on serving, then you're also running in and digging and setting, hitting all that stuff. You might be, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to focus on serving. You know, it takes a, a lot of feedback. Yeah. No, and I think there's a time to serve over and over. Uh, I don't think that's the worst thing ever. But I think the, the, the serving should be a game like that. It should be from where you want to serve yeah. game. And what's interesting about the free throw thing and the ball machine is, like, almost every story you hear of, like, a great shooter is, oh, he stayed after practice and shot 100 free throws kind of thing. And, like, obviously, based on the random, it'd be better if he, like, throughout the practice would, like, sprint, do a bunch of stuff, and then shoot one free throw, because that would be more game-like, or two free throws. Kind of incorporated, like, a lot of reps throughout a practice rather than just standing there shooting a bunch. But, you know, then again, how realistic is that compared to, you know, you, you get 100. How much is, like, those 10 good reps during a game mm-hmm. as good as the 100 reps you get after? And how much is, like, those 10 balls you pass during a game or does that measure up against 100 balls off coach yeah. giving balls to you? Well, yeah, it, it, good point. I think I, I haven't, and I have throughout the literature, I haven't read as much about the mind and that kind of thing. But I've always been curious is, do they separate these skills out from closed chain to open chain skills, right? Which is, basketball is inherently a closed loop skill. Right? Free I, is it? Free throws, no, for sure. Free throws is, is closed. Everything else, the rest everything else, but you're still you're saying a rollout ball. So that what I'm saying is, like, as you move around the court or whatever, you're still shooting that thing, and you have people in your face and that kind of thing. But doing that thousands of times after practice, even if you're randomizing the spot, you're still building the. You know what I mean? You can do that by yourself. Yeah, as opposed the difference between shooting by yourself and shooting with the defense on you is totally different. I think it's the same thing as playing defense against. You know, another team versus you just getting reps with a coach. Right. So, well, so you, you guys think that the guys that are sitting there for hours after practice and not necessarily doing shooting free throws and, and stuff, they're. I think the answer is. Time or, no, I don't like, think. The answer is, for me, I don't think it's wasting your time, any of this. I think mm-hmm. you're going to get better the more you're playing anything, basically. Right. It's just, you know, you're maximizing it. Well, so that's. So then it's back to our original question with this thing with Long Beach. They're doing the same thing every single time, but they're spending so much time on it. At what point does that pay off, right? Because they're doing the same thing and spending hours and hours and hours and hours like the basketball guys. I think the Long Beach thing is even more extreme because I think it'd be the equivalent of basketball shooting a bunch of reps without the hoop. I think it's just like shooting with a partner. Like there's no net involved. There's no target. I mean, it, I mean, I think it'd be like working on your form and shooting like tempo and rhythm, but like with a partner. I think it's even more extreme. It's the extremist mm-hmm. version of blocked training I think you could probably right. come up with. Which is why so it's it's interesting. Yeah. It's not game like it's not yeah. But yeah. it's interesting like what exactly is blocked and random because like what you're saying is like, oh is it random if I pass one from the ten foot line, run back, is there gonna serve me one of the fifteen and one of the thirty because I'm doing a different skill every time? But even that's not really random because you that's, know that's it's called varied there's very varied, varied and constant. Because even though you're doing a different skill, you know it's coming. There's no, like, you're already prepared. You know, if you're doing the same skill over and over, say, passing, but they're serving you from different spots or you're going to different areas, that's called varied. Yeah. If you're just, like, a coach is tossing you four balls and you're hitting that, that would be blocked. Okay, so then ball, so ball would be a very varied, a lot of varied training, not necessarily. Uh, yeah, very, like, varied and random are kind of in the same it's thing. And, yeah, there's, I mean, yeah. I mean, random would be your pass to hitting. Uh, very to be just passing from different areas. Yeah, but I was thinking back to the the basketball uh, thing. I, like you were saying, I think good reps and you know, game like reps are reps, and, and shooting 
it's not going to hurt you, but I'm guessing the kids that are successful, they were playing in the streets, like they were playing, while they were playing basketball. Uh, that's where they made the biggest jumps. Uh, I, I would guess one of the most important parts of shooting is being able to create shots, like read the defense, open up uh, an opportunity to make an open shot. There's probably a million guys out there that can that can shoot well with no defense and 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 make a high percentage of shots out there because they've practiced with no movement. But the guys who are in the league can do it with defenders and they can do it, you know. And, and they probably grew up playing a ton of basketball, you know. I think it's a sticky thing, especially like you're saying, private lessons where it's a lot harder to do random just because you're by yourself with a kid, you know. Right. There's, there's certain like you do more varied, and there's certain things you can do, but yeah, you also see them getting a lot better, but you also see them getting a lot better at practice. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, I have no tough, yeah. proof or anything. Have you ever had, go better, so. can you think of, as far as the reading thing, can you think of players that are just money as far as skill-wise, but they just aren't good in the game? Like, you know, you've, you've dictated and their form is great, but just that they don't have that reading component. Like, it's almost like, oh, there's nothing else I can say to you. Your form's perfect. You just gotta... <laughs> I could think of somebody who's the opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah, um, Beach. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. But again, I think Beach is a higher... There's a higher premium on reading than Beach. Disagree. And there's... Beach is kind of weird because there's so many... The form isn't as universal. Like, right. some people don't have an indoor background, so their form didn't get away with crazy stuff. Like, you're well, Tony Gray, and you set, you know, like, how yeah. is that even, like, possible? You can find that in indoor, too, though. There's some yeah. crazy indoor stuff out there. There's some yeah, yeah, there's, I think it's out, yeah. I think when speed goes up, technical proficiency has to as well. You have to be technically better the faster the game. So I think indoor volleyball players, on average, tend to be technically better because of the speed of the game. Whereas beach, you don't have to be quite as technical because you can get away with weird stuff. Some of the guys that are really hard to play are the guys that are really hard to read because they're not as technical. They do weird stuff, so you can't read as well, and they mess you up. Who's the guy that does weird stuff that's been successful? On beach? Yeah. Uh, I'd have to think about it, but... I think you got to be able to pass and set well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I see a little bit of your point. There's like unorthodox. Players. Yeah, I guess there's unorthodox. I think but they're not just like shaking ball. No, yeah, yeah you. I want to name drop a couple of guys. There are a couple guys that are coming to mind now that yeah. are unorthodox. Okay. I guess okay. I, mean, I wouldn't say that they're not technical. They're just unorthodox okay. with their you skill. Could, which you could say that about some indoor players too, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. for sure. No, I'm I'm saying like if you're looking at like the overlapping. There's more. You're saying more than each. Yeah. As far as back to warmups and stuff, how do you? warm up for a game so like practice you control the gym let's say you're at a club tournament you have four minutes on the court that kind of thing um does that change at all because like i've been doing this year more just like playing and like sometimes we do just four and four because only eight curls there but like you know maybe we'll serve for like a minute and then just have them play Mm -hmm. and i feel like yeah just kind of you get funny looks from other coaches and other people because they're doing hitting lines forever And you're like inputting balls, and they're just playing and rotating around. Maybe it's cross court pepper, and they're doing like you know fire drill, moving around. But I mean, for me, at our level, I don't think we're losing because we're not. The hitting line seems like the least important thing we could do for sure. Because like we're not losing because we're not like spiking hard enough, kind of thing. And you know, and it's fun for the girls too to get out there sweating and competing rather than just standing in hitting line and hitting balls. Oh, so that's yeah, I would, I would actually at any level. I would, I would say that see that's the thing because it's the culture of the team or whatever mm-hmm. because I know with my girls if I was like let's go out there and play and compete 
we like, can we just hit English? Like, I want to connect with my setter. I want to, I want to, and it's like, it's never going to, that's not, it's not the issue. The issue is us, I feel like, like not being ready on defense and not competing is what is preventing us from winning some of these matches. Not a, a setter connection, but what they think is going to get them better and what they think is hitting us. It's like, okay. You'd have to, you'd have to explain it. And I think it's breaking habits. Yeah, they've played for this long and they've always done this. Right. And so you have to kind of not just tell them we're doing this, but explain kind of why and they'd have to buy in. Before I, I was going to comment on that, but I think all this stuff, like the successful coaches have the best players. So all this stuff. Yeah, like, right, right, right. like Russ Rose is going to lose <laughs> if he has my coach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, but ultimately as coaches, we're looking to maximize what we have. So whatever we have, how do we get the most out of them? And I think, Playing volleyball, we're gonna get better. If we have four minutes to play volleyball, why let's spend those four minutes playing volleyball? That that makes the most sense to me. Um, yeah, I had another point. What, what were you just? What were you saying? The girls buying in because they Oh yeah, yeah, my my college team at SMC. So those guys have all played club volleyball, high school volleyball, and we didn't do hitting lines once this whole season. And no one ever actually asked me. I was surprised. It's the first time I've ever done it. Uh, and I was talking to my assistant coach at the end of the year. I was like, they never fought this. I can't believe it. He's like, oh, I had guys come up to me. <laughs> but, <laughs> you did a good job of like, I'm afraid yeah. to coach you. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, we played more volleyball. We were learning all the time. We weren't hitting straight down. We weren't having our setters set tight. And I think they, at the end of the season, you know, I'd have to ask all of them, but I think they bought it, and they, they would rather play deep court and serve some balls than and do something ungame-like that's not going to prepare them for a match. I mean, when, when would they hit against no block? You know, a couple times this year it happened, maybe in a game. So, you know, why would we do it? And I think the more you can explain why you're doing what you're doing, and we would have a lot of conversations as a team, like, okay, what do we want our warm-up to look like? And then, I, you know, I'd offer my feedback, well, this is my understanding of, of the science, and I think we should be doing this. And, you know, we would discuss it and get make sure we're all on the same page and, and it was a big theme for us, like, let's all be rowing on the same boat. Let's all be um, in this together. So I think the more you can have those discussions openly. So what happens if you make a team decision, you put it out there, here's all the reasons why, and they're like, I want to bounce ball the hitting lines. One person or all of the them? Team. <laughs> I, I would. You just hope I would ask just, can you, can you give me a good reason why? Okay. Can you explain... You know, gives me confidence out of just bouncing. Yeah, and then I would, I would say, is there a way we can get confidence? You know, that would be more in line with the way we want to compete. If they didn't buy into that, you know, I would really try to dig deeper and, and email them and bring up, hey, this is what I, I just read this article that mm-hmm. kind of explains where we want to be, and and I think it would take time because the culture is, you know, especially with guys, like we bounce balls, like that's yeah. what we do. But eventually, you'd brainwash them. Yeah, I would brainwash them eventually. <laughs> No, I, yeah, and I, and I think they, if you have those conversations and if, if you if you show that it really matters to you, if that I think eventually they buy in. They, they did yeah, this year for me. It would be interesting to watch like the NPSF, a team, not do any months. I think it'd be like, I mean, are there? Like, you guys don't in junior college. No. So. We were the only team that didn't. Everyone else did. And I always felt like, hey, we're, that's five minutes, we're getting better than the other guys. Mm-hmm. I would watch other teams' warm-ups and... Like, hey, we're, I think I think we're learning right now. We're serving and passing way more than they are. It's gonna, you know, maybe the end of the year we're one percent better at serving and passing. And the extreme opposite of that is you see coach toss hitting lines where the coach is just tossing perfect, you know, twos right. and fours, and there's just one line hitting them. And like, our team is never gonna have that good of a set. 
in a game, and they're never going to be setting, hitting it off a coach like a toss versus like a setter kind of thing. Yeah. So like, like a first year, my first year, we kind of incorporated. Oh, I throw it over the net and they pass that hit because then it's even more. Right? Well, and then eventually you kind of keep going. That's one of those things to me that that is at the lower levels hugely beneficial. Just a nice, perfect toss out of my hand so you can do the perfect footwork. Because there's so much variable in the set at those levels that a hitter never gets a chance to figure out their feet. So now all of a sudden, even on a perfect set, if they continue that when they get to the higher levels, they're 90% of the time on hitting, their feet are messed up, and it's because they never actually got a chance to learn how to do this correctly. Because you're trying to teach them, hey, left, right, left, but then the setter's setting all over setter's the place. Setter's all over the place, so they never get what it actually feels like. So you can go left, right, and then find the ball, and you know, right, left, that kind of thing, and actually get them to feel what it feels like. So then when they actually, now they have to learn how to read, when they read the set, oh, it's inside, I can actually perform the skill inside and get the maximum amount of energy out of my jump. I think there's a time for teaching that. You need to learn the footwork. You need to learn how to move on the court. But again, like I think I could teach Mila to go left, right, left in a couple minutes. The hard part of hitting variable sets is being able to read your setter, know what step to be on when the setter's setting. Well, that, you, that's it. You have to read, what the, you have to read to the pass. So if yeah. they can read a pass, okay, the pass equals timing. It's a high pass, so i got to wait. When it's in her hands, i got to be on my first step. So like all that is a million times harder than saying go left, right, left. Uh, so the more often I think they can read the pass, they can read the setter, and then go left, right, left, the better they're going to be hitting sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, there, you need to learn the movement patterns, but I think you can do that fairly quickly. I don't think we're working with the same. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe that, could, that could be. No, I, I, again, it's the level of your learner. Like the, I, Everybody's different. That, and and I've, I've run into all, like I've had... I've had lessons, I mean, for those three years, there were 45-minute sessions, and I've had lessons where, where a player comes in, and in, in less than 30 minutes, they are dialed in on exactly what, what I was trying to get them to do. It's like, oh, I, okay, like, you've already graduated. Now it's just a matter of learning how to read the next step. And I've had athletes where it took them multiple sessions for almost a year, and then at the end of the year, okay, they finally started feeling the correct thing. And a huge part of it, yeah, is of course they, they weren't very good at reading exactly. So we, I, I teach that as well, but it's I guess it's in conjunction with both. You know what I mean? So I yeah, I do progression. I have these skills. And tech, I mean, you're reading it out of my hand, you know what I mean? But at least, yeah, I mean, how do you recreate it? So it wasn't ideal. Yeah, but, but it's only some two of you. In there. What can you do? It was just you and a girl. You can't, yeah. you can't do that much. So that's why I think private lessons are probably not that beneficial. <laughs> I, I would wonder how much they transfer. I think it's one of those things where private lessons depends on the athlete. I think it every, every all of this completely depends on the athlete. I really believe that. How what is the best way to get an athlete to learn how to read the game? The way this athlete does it is going to be different than the way this athlete does it. At the end of the day, I think you're maximizing a big group of guys playing together, or a big group playing together by playing, yeah. right? But some athletes are going to not make as quickly and not make progress as quickly because they're in that big group and they're not able to translate and they're so worried about something else whereas if you take those athletes put them in private lessons they're going to be come back and be like okay now I know what I'm supposed to do and now that I'm in a big group I know how to think I know how to read I know what to do and I can actually yeah. take that next step or that get to that next plateau yeah I can see that 
So, I mean, and then that's the thing. At the end of the day, every athlete's going to be different, but it's how do you maximize what you've got. And I think if you have an athlete that's super crazy talented or something like that, and they learn differently, well, okay, now you need to take the time and spend spend different, you know, the outlier time with them in order to get them to do it correctly. Yeah. I think no matter what the level of your athlete and what sort of learner they are, you need to identify the things that are important in your sport. Uh, I was listening to Josh Waitzkin, the author of uh, The Art of Learning, and he was talking about like small circles, like finding the things that happen over and over. Yeah, I won't explain it well enough, but in chess, you would find what the small circles were. Like It was easy to like get caught up in these like fancy like opening move plays and like think that was exciting, um, which would be like our maybe bouncing a ball. But he would identify like the things that are really important and master that. And I think that's what's really important, no matter what level your learner is. Like, okay, what's important in our sport? Let's ma- let's find a way to master that. Maybe it'll take time, but let's spend as much time on that as we can. Uh, another thing I was thinking about with uh, the blocked and the random stuff is that <clears throat> with block training, I think in all the studies I read, for example, like baseball players, the people that were getting blocked hitting reps, they they would say during the the whatever the four week study. They felt like they were improving, like they felt more confident, and then the people getting the random reps felt like they were getting worse, felt bad about themselves. At the end of the four weeks, in every study I've seen, the random training, like they're hitting like 350, and the blocks is hitting like 250. And these are all different, you know, learners, different different levels. So I think that that's an interesting point to think about as a coach. Like, are you are you practicing? Like John Kessel says, are you practicing for practice? Or are you practicing for performance? Yeah, for sure. Like you, if you can control an environment, you can make that player succeed. Yeah. You know, I can make you look good as a hitter if I'm control, totally controlling the environment. And in a game, you can't control that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, as a coach, you want to like, you know, it's great if you had a private lesson. I'd want to make them look bad at first, and then look <laughs> good at the end. That's how like we, I would judge they're improving. They would feel like they're improving. But um, I think it's not teaching isn't so much how can how is it easier for me to break down the skill and explain it to them? It's like, are they getting better at the skill? You know? And so, like, it's not so much, I feel like if this is the way I can teach it, it's like, if, yeah, if you came to a game, like, are they getting it kind of thing? Yeah, I think another thing to, <clears throat> to think about is, like, what are, like, in private lessons, what are these kids, like, are they going to play college volleyball? Maybe if they're not, like, then let's make it fun. Like, does it have to be random? And it's it's okay to give them confidence and and make it some, like make them enjoy volleyball. I think that that's way more important than if they learned a ton of stuff. Like if they if they found a way to enjoy athletics, get a good workout, then great. You know, if if it's someone that they're really concerned with learning and that's what's most important, then we know like what pretty clear what the science says about how they're going to learn better and especially in our sport. So I think there's also that balance. Like did did they have a good experience? Are they going to want to keep playing volleyball? If they did, then like I did my job. So I think there's that like that balance as well. Just never tell the parents that. <laughs> You're never going to play in college. We're going to have fun. Yeah. Um, I get, yeah. One, one thing that I've been thinking about, thinking about this warm-up thing, is that I've changed my warm-ups a lot as a coach. Uh, as a player, I haven't. And so, like, I maybe it's being an older man or whatever, but, like, I still do some dynamic. I still, like, throw with a partner, and I still do some of this old stuff. You're not a supple leopard. I'm not a supple leopard. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to start doing more, you know, whether it's no jump or just some sort of over-the-net pepper games and just kind of jump right into playing. 
um, you know, whether it's just showing up late to a practice, you kind of miss out on all the other, other stuff. Um, but just like how it incorporates into you as a player kind of thing. Because I still feel like I'm a little bit more blocked and like structured warm-up as a player than I am as a coach. It's part of our beach culture. I think it's, it's, it's scary what I've seen like our top American teams are doing in practice. It's like, it's frightening. If Karch or John Sparrow, you know, we're doing that with our indoor teams, I think they would, they would get fired. Because <laughs> they're so far from like what, what's going to be effective. Uh, so if you have somebody like, like Hyde and Scott, right, that like their whole practice career was like pretty much just repping it out. And like I'm going to hit 1,000 high line shots and get it perfect and stuff. Is he just a freak athlete because it has translated so well? Because I mean, he's I, don't, I don't know. Because I mean, they, they played a lot of volleyball, and when they practiced, they practiced really hard. Like they were mm-hmm. always competing. They like I never played them in a practice where they were dogging it. Mm-hmm. But like and, Sean defends that a lot, right? Yeah, Sean will defend it. But can he like can he say that's why they got better? Mm-hmm. Like most of the studies would say that's that's not what did it. So I mean, I think a lot of times as humans, we're the worst at knowing. What helped us? That's why I think science comes in. Emotions take over, and you, and you think something is good for you, and that doesn't necessarily mean it is. Uh, yeah, I think what made John and Sean special was their work ethic, and and they. I mean, when we practiced with them, we didn't do any block training. It was all like, we really? play matches. <laughs> I remember always doing still like a guy would serve, two right side guys would pass that hit, like just do all the high line for all cut shots. Yeah, that's kind of the warm ups. And yeah, you're gonna be way more confident with your cut shot if you just hit yeah. twenty in a row. Well, and, and, and we've all said like I think there is some value in that. That's mm-hmm. not like gonna make you worse. There, yeah. it's not shooting half court shots. It's not doing what the Long Beach girls are doing. They're you know passing on the same it side is. of that. I it's mean, that would be considered random, right? It is pass, still. There is still. Set, you're gonna pass from a different. You're reading area. your setter. You're having to approach. You know the the hit part of it is gonna be uh, constant or blocked. But almost everybody is trying out setting as like a warm up. Yeah, that would be a, a good example of something that I don't think is valuable. Mm-hmm. That's not really improving your game. Yeah, this year I've Ryan and I have we've never peppered. Uh, we serve and pass. That's our warm up. We do dynamic and then we start serving and passing. And you're not like, hey Ryan, I'm work on you serving to your right shoulder. <laughs> no, I always have a focus. I always have something that I'm working on in that. It's hard when you're competing to be. I think what I've learned is when you're competing, you want to be more goal-oriented with what you want to do. So, okay, I just want to pass in front. I just want to serve it flat and and fast and clean. When you're doing more of that, say our warm-up is, you want to be more tech. That's when you make changes technically. You go, okay, I want to get my hands and wrists together early, and I want to work on angling to my, you know, or I want to work on reading the ball off his hand. That's all I'm going to focus on. So then you de- develop those habits, you build that myelin, like you said, and then when you compete, you're just you're competing. You're not thinking of that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a time, a time for both, and that's important as a coach to, okay, and, t- and explaining it to your athletes like this part of the practice we're making technical changes. This part of the practice we're competing. Like I don't I don't want to hear you talking about what your right foot was doing. I want to hear you being a good teammate. I want to hear you battling. You know? So I think separating those is important. Anything else on warmups? Was this about warm-ups? Yeah, at the end of the day, I, I don't know anything anymore. That's what I've decided. So it's kind of like, I don't adhere to a block training philosophy. I don't adhere to a random training philosophy. I just get them playing, move it around, change it up. Some of the stuff I do, I think, ends up being blocked. Some of the stuff I am, as long as whatever I'm doing with my, with my teams isn't going on for too long. 
it's it's you yeah. know it's not. and I try like I try to read as much as I can and change it like being willing to change the things like I saw when you're in the gym with other teams and that kind of stuff take what you can and yeah. change what you you know different ideas of stuff and, and, and move it around and when you find something that the team likes you play that like next year for, for a SMC team they might for whatever reason just not like that game where you put it in the bucket you know and if they don't like it and they're not getting better and they're not competing because there's no internet then you don't play that game you know you still have that game and bring it out for another team at another time but it's like those types of things that are really interesting to me it's mm-hmm. never going to be the same the last thing you want to be as a coach is seven and like right. not willing to learn and change you know. yeah all the best coaches I've been around they're they're eager to learn like they're always asking questions they're not like this is like I know everything I know all the answers like Marv's gym it's been ten years since I've been there since I played there but uh I think within like three years, like wow, this practice is way different than the stuff we were doing, and now it's even more different. And he's won a gold medal in national championships, and he's I don't know, he's ageless, he's like seventy, but he's still changing, he's still learning, and I think that's what coaching is about. Like how how can I get better today? And I think you know that's the kind of culture you want to create. And hey, I'm learning with you guys. Like I want to get better. Are you guys doing everything you can to be getting better? I'm gonna to try to be better for your practice tomorrow. Um, I'm going to try to make the warm-up better. And I think that goes into small circles. Like, let's look at, let's identify this this warm-up and let's make it the best we can make it. And let's figure out what's best for you guys. Like, what what's going to help you? Let's talk about this. How, how can we have the best warm-up possible? Yeah, I think warm-up's fun to talk about because it's an area we overlook so much sometimes. It's just like, oh, this is the 10 minutes before real practice starts. And if you can make, you know, that important too and just as essential, I think you're doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs>